0: Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've overcome the world and faith is our victory in Christ. And Father, once again, as we look into your word, into the book of Esther, Father, I pray we might once again see your unseen hand and how you work, Lord, in the affairs of mankind And then realize how you work in our individual lives, that we might take comfort in that. Thank you so much, Lord, as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me, let's turn to the book of Esther. As we're in part three now, part three of the book of Esther. What we're going to do is we're going to pick it up uh, where we left off, the end of chapter two. We're going to look at the last few verses Uh, in chapter 2 verses 21 through uh, i'm sorry 19 through 23 we're going to look at those in just a moment but again just as a refresher as you recall if you weren't here with us uh, the 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 jews were taken into exile through babylon nebuchadnezzar and then of course persia came and conquered babylon and now the uh exiles of Israel are under the rule and reign of Persia and they're servants of them uh, and so the the blessing is that Persia was at this point good to the Jews remember God used the uh, Persians to send back a remnant to Israel to rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall and so uh God was using Persia to protect you know, his people. But then comes this amazing story uh, where we will find that uh, Satan is, begins again to try and wipe out God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. And we've see, you see that throughout history. You know, you've seen it when the Egyptians tried to do it and then all through the battles in Canaan and then even in modern day, Hitler and the Nazis tried to wipe out the Jew. But yet, even though many were killed, God kept a remnant of his people. But we're going to see that the threat comes against the Jews once again here. And, it's all, and Satan is going to be using one man in particular to try and bring this about. But as you recall, where we left off chapter 1, we saw that the king and his queen Vashti were both having banquets at the same time. And the king sent a word uh, with his messenger to, to his queen and said, I want you over in my banquet so I can show you off well Queen Vashti said no I'm not coming for that you, I'm not showing up just to be a show-off piece and so the king says okay with the help of his counselors pushing him to do it according to the law of the Persians, no one's allowed to say no to the king out she goes so she's exiled bye-bye Vashti and so now she, there's no queen so the People come up with this idea why don 't you get all the virgins around all the beautiful women that are unmarried and and get them together and choose one to be your queen and Of course, it ends up that Esther is one of them, and she is the one that God uh, moved to pieces and worked all things out so that she would be chosen by the king to be the next queen of persia and of course the king's name is ahasuerus and of course the other name used in history for him is xerxes so most people know him by xerxes but in the scripture she's called ahasuerus and so we we come to a place here remember uh, mordecai is the uh was the uh the guardian of esther he adopted her And she was his cousin, younger cousin, but he took care of her. And now that she's become the queen, uh, he gave her strict instructions. Do not tell anybody that you're a Jew. So she kept that hidden. She didn't let anybody know that. So let's pick it up at verse 19. Esther 2, verse 19 and 20. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. What a special, that had to be a special gate, the king's gate. And uh, he was, that was a privileged place, I guess, of honor to sit. Verse 20, Esther had not yet made known her kindred or her people, even as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther did what Mordecai told her as she had done when under his care it was most important that for her sake that she remain uh, uh, unknown as to her nationality that they she would not be a jew because mordecai i knew where that could lead and of course it's going to end up leading down a bad path but uh, once it is found out so here we have esther in On the throne as queen, Mordecai has a, a special place at the gate, and that's going to be important. Now look at verses 21 to 23. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, uh, Bigathan and Teresh, two of the king's officials, from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Hazarus. They had a plot to kill the king. But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on the gallows, and it was written in the book of Chronicles in the king's presence so here is a little story tucked away but i find something wonderful in these few verses in this little story you know it's it's just mentioned this one time and then you go on with the story of esther but but here we find mordecai was sitting at a gate the exact place where he would have the opportunity to hear two of the uh, king's officials who guarded the door so it was within earshot of Mordecai and he overheard them talking about the plot to kill the king he hears it and what does he do he goes to Esther and says Esther you got to tell the king that Someone's trying to these two guys are trying to kill him, and of course it saves the king's life, and so uh, these men are found out, and they are hung <clears throat> but I, I I point this out because uh, there are times in our life where uh, so, you know we, we suddenly find ourselves in a place, in a position uh, where We have to make a decision and then God moves us in that direction or he allows us to listen or hear something that that he set up so that that he his plan would be accomplished in our lives, in our personal lives. Maybe there was a time where someone saw you working somewhere and and you know and went to the boss and says and put in a good word for you and then suddenly you were promoted and God God used that to promote you to to be able to minister to other people God moves in mysterious ways but i want us to to really get a grasp of how God works in every event and every second minute of our lives and how he puts things in a place and one one other place here i'd like to look at is in judges chapter Seven, so if you'll turn to judges seven, begin in verse one, Judges seven <clears throat> verse one, we have here the story of Gideon. and let's look together and uh, if you'll <clears throat> you read down. To, of course, we, we know that God called Gideon and told him, you know, don't be afraid. I'm going to have you, uh, I'm going to give you the Midianites, and uh, I'm going to win the victory. Now, Gideon was still unsure, like, how is this? Because look at verse 8. So the 300 men took the people's provisions and their trumpets in their hand. And Gideon sent all the other men of Israel, each to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So here's Gideon with this small band of 300 men. And here's this large army of Midianites that, if anyone did a calculation, what would be the odds, the human odds, of them winning this battle They'd be astronomical. But I love what we begin to see in verse 9. Now, the same night, it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. And again, you know Gideon, he wants to put the fleeces out and he goes, I don't know about this, Lord. Verse 10 God says, But if you are afraid to go down, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp. And you will hear what they say. And afterward, your hands will be strengthened. That you may go down against the camp. So he went down with Pura, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Now, notice here, God is setting this up. God has it all worked out. He knows the fears Gideon has, and he wants to calm those fears and give him courage. And so he says, If you're still afraid, Gideon, I want you to hear something. And so he says, take your servant and go down to the tents, down down to the camp. So just try and think of, again, the odds of this happening naturally. Okay. So God sent, so he goes down. Verse 12. Now the Midianites And the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts and their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. No wonder Gideon was was scared in heart and uncertain about this. Verse 13, when Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream To his friend, and he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian, and it came to the tent, and it struck it so that it fell, and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. Verse 14 And his friend answered and said, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon the son of joash a man of israel god has given midian and all the camp into his hand is that the most incredible thing when you think that god said just go down there i'm gonna let you hear something god had to Get the right men in the right tent for Gideon and his servant to go right next to that tent to be able to listen in, and at the right moment Gideon was there, this man would talk about the dream he had, and then the other soldier would interpret the dream and saying, it's Gideon that's going to come down, and he's going to to wipe us out it's absolutely incredible god put the words in the mouth of those men he brought gideon just to the place at the time where god wanted him to hear it so that so that gideon would take heart and he would gain confidence and and again trust the lord believing the battle would be won and look what he does next then <clears throat> There in uh, verse 15. And it came about when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation that he, what? Do you see that? He bowed down in worship. He bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said to the, his men, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. He comes back with such confidence. because, But here he is, the, the astronomical odds of him being able to overhear something of about a dream and that it would, it would refer to him as being a victor. What does he do when he, he hears it all? He falls down right there in the middle of the night, right next to that tent. He doesn't do anything else, but the first thing he does is he worships the Lord. And, and the Lord needs to teach me this, that he works in every detail of my life. And when people come into my life, God has a purpose and plan to use them in my life and me in their life. There are no coincidences in the believer's life. And God uses unbelievers without their knowledge. He uses them over and over again to bring about his, uh, his plan, his purpose for his glory. And so those times when you, you may think that uh, it's trivial... The the events in your life, they haven't been. They haven't been. God brought you all the way in every circumstance. He has orchestrated. He has orchestrated so that that he he can uh, encourage your heart and my heart in our walk of faith. Knowing that, Lord, okay, you have a purpose. I don't understand. And I may hear something that will benefit someone else, and I go tell them. And it's much like Mordecai I did. What did he do? He told the king, he told Esther, and Esther told the king, and the plot was solved. The uh, plot was, uh, of assassination was taken care of uh, because God still wanted this king on the throne. You see, God intervened there too. God wanted to make sure that this king would find out this, the, this, the plot so that he would not die. God is orchestrating in the nations and in our own individual lives. So turn back with me. I wanted you to see that. It's got to, it has to encourage our hearts. Go back to Esther, if you would, with me. <clears throat> and uh, look at chapter 3. Let's pick it up at chapter 3, verse 1. After these events, King Hazarus promoted Haman the daughter of hamedatha the Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. So suddenly we have a new character on the scene. His name is Haman. Who is he? He's an Agagite. Do you see that? Agagite. Now what's the big deal? Why would that be in there that he is an agagite and not a a persian well because of the background of the agagites it's interesting when you when you look back he was an agagite agag where the agagites came from agag was an amalekite remember the, the amalekites that name they were a hated enemy of israel in the land of canaan after Israel got through the Red Sea, they went to Mount Sinai to receive the law. But in between those two places, the Red Sea and Mount Sinai, they were attacked by a group known as the Amalekites. And we read the story in Scripture. And this group was actually some descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. And this is the scene, if you remember the story where uh, Joshua's fighting the Amalekites while Moses' hands were held up and his staff. That's the battle that, against the Amalekites. And so the Amalekites, from, gen, uh, you know, from generation to generation, were the, the arch enemy of the Jews. Now later, when King Saul was over Israel, God wanted to punish the Amalekites And so he wanted Saul to utterly destroy everything that belonged to the Amalekites and destroy especially the king, Agag. But Saul didn't do it. He didn't obey the Lord. And so for that reason, there were still Agagites alive. And they were in, some of them were here in Persia. And one of them ended up as being one of the advisors to the king. So, this plays a part in the future of this story, because why would Haman care about the Jews? It's because of his background, because he knows that once he hears the name Jew, he gets furious, and because that's his his family's arch enemy. They they fought all those those years and centuries so so here we come to this man Haman okay and he's given a position by the king he's promoted verse 2 and all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman for so the king had commanded concerning him but Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage so Somehow, Haman got on the good side of the king and he got a position where he actually got the king to give a commandment for people to bow down as if to worship him or bow down and give him, him honor. And so you can imagine the ego in this guy, Haman. But there's one guy who wouldn't bow mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage does that ring a bell someone who decided not to bow down yes shadrach meshach and abednego they refused to bow down to the image well this was similar to to mordecai he was not going to bow down to this heathen man and so verse three then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to mordecai why are you transgressing the king's command now it was when they had spoken daily to him and he would not listen to them that they told haman to see whether mordecai's reason would stand for he had for he had told them that he was a jew now it comes out now it comes out but notice Mordecai must have must have made friends with some of the king's servants because they're trying to figure out they spoke to him daylight daily saying, "Come on, come on, go ahead, bow down to Haman. You know, why get in trouble over this? They're trying to help him, but finally he wouldn't listen, he wouldn't listen, and so they told, finally told Haman, verse five, when Haman saw Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with... Rage. He knew he was a Jew. Right. Agagite. History. Verse six. But when he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were, therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. The people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus so here he is. Here's the first Hitler in hi- in history. When we see that the m- this man has suddenly has this, is so enraged at this Jew Mordecai, and how dare he not bow down to me? That he says, "I'm going to destroy these people." He's a Jew. I know all about the Jews, and and I'm going to bring them down and destroy them. Now, who, who is working in Haman's heart and mind? Is it just Haman himself? No. We know that Satan is at work. For Satan is behind the idea of destroying God's chosen people. Because if Satan can get the Jews to be annihilated, guess what? No Messiah. You know the prophecies of the Messiah. There would be none. God's promises would not be able to come true. There would be no Messiah, no someone who would come and crush the serpent's head. And so we see that that, uh, Haman is being used by Satan. And so we go on then uh, here, verse 7. In the first month, which is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of Hazarus, Pur, that is the lot, was cast before Haman from day to day and from month to month until the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, the month Adar. So what's this all about? He's saying, the, what does he do? He's casting lots. You see, Haman was casting lots to, uh, to discern a time when he could maneuver to get the Jews uh, to, to be hated by the king or get a law made against them that they would, they would be put to death. He cast lots, which is like rolling dice. Turn with me to Proverbs 16.3 real quick. Proverbs 16.3. <clears throat> Proverbs 16.3. Uh, uh, first of all, it says, commit your works to the Lord and, And your plans will be established. So that's what the believer should do. We should commit our works to the Lord and trust him. Well, in ancient times, what they did many times is they would cast lots. And we we saw even Israel do it to cast lots to make decisions. And the understanding was that whatever the whatever. Lot came out. It's like picking straws or something like that. Or, or, you know, that decision that many times a decision was made by how the dice rolled and they had different ways of casting lots, not just by dice. But but they believed that that was leading that that would give them by the spirits or there was some uh, uh, the spirit world or their God would show them through the casting of lots now uh, what to do now god did that god had done that a few times uh we see in scripture but now go over to verse 33 drop down to verse 33 of proverbs 16 concerning the rolling of dice the cast of lot the casting of lots the lot is cast into the lap it doesn't matter who it is right so in other words People try and use this to make decisions. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is where? From the Lord. Do you see that? From the Lord. Every decision is from the Lord. In other words, God's going to make that lot turn out the way God wants it to, to work for his ultimate purpose. Now, you don't take this verse and decide to go to Hollywood Casino and figure, okay, Lord, I guess I can cast a light. You're going to make the decision. Okay, be good to me, Lord, you know, and towards it, anything like that. But we it gives us an understanding, once again, this verse of the sovereignty of God. And this is what this, this whole book is all about the sovereignty of God, the hand of God that he determines even the casting of lots. And so he's going to determine things, even though Haman thinks he's in control and he's working behind the scenes to annihilate the Jews, God has other plans, and God's going to thwart the plan. So I just wanted you to see that because that's what uh, Haman is doing. So if you go back with me, and we're just going to do a few more verses to conclude here tonight. Verse 8. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces, provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all other people, and they do not observe the king's laws. So it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. So, here, according to the casting of lots, he figured, well, this is the time. I'm going to go to the king, and then I'm going to tell him, you know, I'm going to say some things about the Jews. That they, there are a bunch of people here that are dispersed in the provinces, that their laws are different than yours. They don't listen to our laws. They do not, observe. notice the key phrase, they do not observe the king's laws. Bang, ouch. That goes right to the heart of king azarus because now he's thinking you mean there are people that are not obeying my laws verse nine if it pleases if it is pleasing to the king let it be decreed that they be destroyed and i will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who carry on the king's business to put into the king's Treasuries, ooh, bribe, money, yeah, that that looks, that sounds good to the king, doesn't it? That that kind of money, oh my goodness, he's offering the king ten thousand talents of silver. Okay, we're talking about seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds of silver. When when we, if you look it up, today this would amount. To something around two hundred and twenty million dollars, American money. So the king, he's offering the king this money for his treasury, saying, "Hey, go go annihilate these uh, these uh, lawbreakers, you know." And hey, not only that, but I I'll put money in your bank. Well, that that does it. And again, Satan is at work putting the idea in the mind of Haman, and he thinks he's going to get away with it all verse 10 then the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to haman the son of hamadatha the agagite and there it is look at this at the end of verse 10 the enemy of the jews and the king said to haman the silver is yours and the people also to do with them as you please. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and it was written just as Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, and to the princes of each people, each province, according to the script, each people according to its language, being written in the name of king Ahasuerus, and sealed with the king's signet ring. And letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children. Look at this. In one day. In one day. Talk about doing it, getting it over with. It was all commanded to be done in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the day of Adar, and to seize their possessions as plunder. A copy of the edict is to be issued as law in every province, uh, and it was published to all the peoples so that they should be ready for this day. The couriers went out impelled by the king's command while the decree was issued in Susa, the capital. And while the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city of Susa was in confusion. You can imagine, suddenly you see these posters up, kill the Jews, kill the Jews. And there are many Jews in the capital of Susa. Mordecai is one of them. And suddenly the Jews are running for their life. And there's so much confusion. But as we, as we close here tonight, I want us to take with us these wonderful truths. One, that God is at work and going to perform his will in your life and my life in spite of what Satan is trying to do against you and against me as God's people. Satan wants to annihilate you As a Christian, just like he did the Jews, because you represent Christ and you're doing harm to the kingdom of Satan. And so he's going to try anything and everything. He'll use people. He'll bring some some quote Haman into your life to come after you, maybe to attack you, to accuse you some way. And suddenly you go, where did that come from? It's the enemy of your souls enemy God's enemy and he's trying to bring us down but we praise the Lord that God ultimately is in control and I have to trust him and say Lord give me eyes to see with that I may see your invisible hand at work and I will trust you with the outcome I will trust you and I will not try and be my own defender I will not try and fight my own battles, but let the Lord fight the battle for me. Let's take that with us today. Yeah, Brother Bob. A lot of people don't realize when you talk about this passage, but I've spent many years reading Middle East history, and Haman is exactly 14 generations from King Agag, and 14 generations after Haman was none other than Yasser Arafat. No. Yeah, sure, ever really? Yes, it continues right on down through, and it parallels that passage back in Genesis talking about fourteen generations from Abraham. That's am- I did not know that. That's remarkable. That is remarkable. And and you see, uh, the Arabs came through Esau and many are or some of the other the agagites really the, many of the arabs who, who are the enemy many are the enemies of, of the jews but i did not know that about arafat the palestinians thank you for that that piece of, of of interesting history and god has been in control the whole time in spite of what satan has tried to do to overthrow god's plan overthrow god's people Rest assured, the victory will be won. The victory is ours. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for encouraging our hearts once again through the life and story of Esther. Father, I pray that we might continue to see your invisible hand at work in our lives and know that whatever Satan tries to do, Lord, if we are walking in your ways, Walking in the center of your will, Lord, we know that though the battle may be fierce, and Father, we may, we may have to f- face persecution, Lord, we know that ultimately you will be glorified and you will bring us through it, even if it means bringing us to glory. But how wonderful, At the very end, Lord, you will show forth your glory in heaven as you present all the saints to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as a bride. Thank you that we are part of that bride. Father, encourage us tonight, I pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.